if you've been following the mini-series that we've had, the last few weeks I've been talking about the qualities of an impactful church. If we, if we want to be a church that's going to make a, a really strong impact in the community of Castle Rock, we need these qualities. So let's do a quick review. Two weeks ago, uh, we, had a, uh, we had the message on the story of Jesus and Peter. Jesus reinstating Peter. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And each time, Peter said, I phileo you. The lesson that we got out of that is love is important for a church to have. If we're going to go out there and we're if we're going to have any impact in feeding Jesus' sheep, we need love above all other things. So that's one quality that's important for a church to make a really strong impact. The next quality that we looked at was last week we talked about being joined together. Uh, that was the key text. The key text that we had was Acts chapter 1 verse 14. In Acts chapter 1, 14, in my translation, it said, they all joined together. The translation that you may have heard for many years is that they were all in one accord, right? Uh, in a quick review, of course, that phrase in the Greek is really proskarteruntes homothumadon. And what that means is devote oneself to a common mind, to one mind. So the other uh, quality that we need to be an impactful church is to be of one mind, one mission, one philosophy, one theology, one uh, thought, one uh, goal, and one tactics and strategies and how we're going to carry out that mission into, into the community of Castle Rock. So today, I now present two more qualities that are important for an impactful church. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and you're going to see those two qualities. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there are two qualities that I would like to add on to love and being joined together. Okay? <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Sadly, I am still coughing from even three weeks ago, so I have this. It says here, in my translation, in the NIV, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Who's they? Well, from where we left off last week, Acts chapter 1, a lot has happened to the church. Because in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 41, they have grown from 120. Now it tells us here in verse 41, those who accepted the message from Peter and from the other apostles were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Significant. And mind you, uh, there's more to, to that context that in... Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, you have the experience of the Holy Spirit coming down on Pentecost, 
right? And that was so significant because they started to learn how to speak in different languages where they can carry out the gospel to even people who did not speak their language. So they have all of these things that are happening. So the they in uh, verse 42 are these new followers, these new 3,000 followers that have been added to their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's number one. That's another quality that I think we should have. The teaching of the gospel. And then number two, to fellowship. To fellowship. And then fellowship actually has two subcategories. Fellowship uh, 2A under fellowship is, what is fellowship? Well, breaking of bread. Yes, food. And then 2B is prayer. Prayer. So fellowship is something that is far different from teaching. I think a lot of churches do well on teaching the gospel. I think we do well in teaching the gospel. But there's something that we need to work on as Castle Rock Adventist Church, and that's fellowship. And that's what I'm going to be talking about a lot today, is what is this idea of fellowship? So let's take a look at these two words, teaching and fellowship. These two qualities that are so important for an impactful church to have. What's the difference? Well, I believe teaching is to the head as fellowship is to the soul, to the heart. Yes! Teaching is more thought-provoking. It's more uh, using your mind while fellowship is more intimate. Have you ever thought of that? It dawned on me this past week when I was looking at this sermon, as, as I was looking at this passage, that, wow, these two components are necessary for a church. That it needs to teach God's gospel, uh, the, the uh, wonderful news of Jesus Christ, and it also needs to fellowship. The breaking of bread and prayer. Church members coming together in a very intimate matter. And when I say intimate, what I mean is being vulnerable with each other, willing to share each other's, uh, willing to share stories with each other, your story, sharing it with another story of another person in the church. It's not just game night. It's not just social events. But in a little while, we're going to see from Jesus himself how he was devoted to fellowship. In the way that Jesus sought fellowship from his disciples and from others, I think is a special lesson for us today on how we should have fellowship with each other. So let's keep reading this text. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What is breaking of bread? Well, as many of you have come to know that breaking of bread is a simple way. It's an old Jewish idiom where it says to eat. Simple, just to eat. So think about the dynamics of eating, especially when you have guests over. Let's say it's a party of six or eight. You're the host. You've set the table out. 
right? There's an array uh, of different foods, and your guests are, are smiling, laughing, they're talking, they're, they're sharing um, the events that have transpired in their life recently, perhaps, or maybe, maybe the, the gathering gets a serious tone. Maybe someone shares a sickness that they have, you see? Or the, the struggles that they've had that they need your assistance or your guidance towards. That's breaking the bread. Breaking the bread has two connotations. It has one official connotation, one official connotation of having communion with each other as fellow believers. And that's the official. But then the other breaking of bread is the informal one, where, where you're gathering in each other's home or in a church um, uh, facility. Okay, uh, I like to think that in this situation, it's very informal. It's the type of intimate gathering that's really drawing the people together. Let's keep reading. You'll see, you'll see what I mean here. In verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. See, it's a very informal one. It's the, it's the laid-back gathering. Okay, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, fellowship is to the heart as teaching is to the mind. We need both. I think that's what we've been lacking as Castle Rock, especially in the last year and a half. Having to do much with very little, having a lot of workers, I mean having few workers but having a lot of work, I understand where, where we ended up for a year and a half where we're feeling drained. I think the fix there is fellowship. And I'm glad that the Hamstras are having uh, game night, February 26th. Uh, all of y'all are invited. Jim, there you go. I've told everyone that they can all go to your, to your place on game night. That's fellowship. And we need that. I'd like to bring your attention now to Jesus, who I truly believe was devoted to fellowship. When you first think of Jesus, what comes to mind? Is it that he was a good teacher? That he focused more on his ministry to teaching? Or was it more so on fellowship? As I've gotten older, and I don't feel as wiser, okay, I have learned that Jesus is a really personal person. He longs relationships. He longs for connections. He longs for fellowship with the people that he is around. And to this day, as he, our lesson study is Jesus is our mediator in heaven. To this day in heaven, as a mediator, I truly believe his desire is for eternal fellowship above all else. 
If you think about Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, it's about God and Adam and Eve being in fellowship with God, right? The three of them in fellowship. Adam and Eve sin. They fall out of fellowship. The rest of the Bible from Exodus to, what's the book right before Revelation? Uh, to Jude. Uh, what, what, it's all about how to get reconciled, right? And then Revelation is the future promise that we're going to have eternal fellowship with God. Right? Thank you, Mary. It's beautiful. Okay, we have to turn to Mark chapter 14 to see exactly how Jesus is experiencing fellowship with his fellow disciples. Mark chapter 14. We're going to go to verse 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. This story is Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And just a quick side note, this is one of the few stories that you find in all four Gospels. Some of Jesus' miracles you find in like one or two Gospels. But if you find a story in all four Gospels, what do you think the Gospel writers are trying to tell you? It's a significant story. It's a significant story that there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from, from this situation. So, Mark chapter 14 Verse 32, you also find this in Matthew 26, Luke 22, and John 17. I chose this particular story because I want to see the interaction that Jesus has with his disciples. You don't get that in John 17. John 17, you actually see the prayer of Jesus. But Mark 14, we're going to see his in interactions with the disciples. Verse 32, it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So what's happening to Jesus here? Jesus knows the hour is upon him. He knows that in a little while he's going to get arrested. He knows that the crucifixion is coming, right? Uh, he knows he's going to die. This is weighing heavy on his soul. If you were to read Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 22, you'll see that the description there is that Jesus is so burdened by this that he's sweating, sweating things that are like blood. That's what it says in the Gospel of Luke. So it tells us here that he is distressed and troubled. He tells his disciples in verse 34, My soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, Stay here, stay here, and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground. Another, uh, one of the other gospels says that he is a stone's throw away from where the disciples are at. Okay, so that's what, maybe 20, 30 feet away? Unless you're John Elway and you can chuck a stone over a mountain. Remember that? John Elway said he can throw a football over a mountain? No? Okay. So, doesn't have the same effect since you guys didn't know that. So, uh, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He says, Abba, Father, Daddy, he said, 
everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, I don't think this is a sin. Sometimes people say, when you feel sad or guilty, it's a sin. I think it's the very human element thing to do. To be frightened, to be scared. And I chose this experience to show that Jesus is devoted to fellowship because this story here is perhaps the most human of how Jesus appears to us. He's most human in this story. Then he returned to his disciples a second time and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray. What did we say about prayer? Prayer is a component of fellowship, right? We saw that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So what's Jesus seeking here? He's seeking fellowship with his disciples. He's asking for their support. He's asking that through their prayer, through their support, He's going to have the fortitude then. He, what, with them present, He would have His spirits lifted up. I believe that's what He was also thinking, what He's also asking of His disciples. He's telling His disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then verse 39 once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Another story that's in all four Gospels is Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. But in regard to this particular story, we see a very human Jesus. I do believe Jesus was divine and man at the same time. But in this story, we see a very human Jesus who is distraught, who is overwhelmed, who is frightened and seeking company, seeking fellowship from His disciples. But I suppose that's life. I suppose that sometimes life does have its busyness. That a child may ask, Dad, look what I did at school today. Seeking fellowship with Dad, but Dad says, Honey, I have a meeting tomorrow and I gotta prepare for it. Denying the child even maybe a few seconds to look at what the child did at school that day. Denied fellowship. I suppose that's life. But the thing is, we don't ever know what life really throws at us. The thing about fellowship, one of the secret ingredients to fellowship is vulnerability. That's a word that I don't hear tossed around a lot in the church setting. It's something that I've used often in the hospital setting, especially as a chaplain. But vulnerability, I think, is a very important need for a Christian. Vulnerability is humility. Vulnerability is the ability to recognize that you have need in your life and that you see someone else who has 
the ability to help fill that need. Maybe that need can be filled by a fellow church member. Can you pray for me? I have this coming up. Can you pray for me? To have vulnerability, to say something to that effect, to even, let's say, maybe it's not church, maybe it's even your spouse. <clears throat> to recognize that you need something and then ask help from your spouse, it takes a lot. Some people say it's weak. If anything, I say it takes courage. It takes more courage to ask for help, like what Jesus did here. Jesus is asking for help. Did you... Did you pick up on that on that part of the story Jesus is exhibiting true courage by asking his disciples help so the question I have to really ask is where are you in your Christian walk in your spiritual life do you have the humility to recognize need in your life that you can ask for help through the sense of fellowship, through the, the environment, or not environment, but through the aspect of fellowship. If our Lord and Savior is doing it, I think we need to take a lesson from that. Now, I'm, I'm pointing here to an extreme situation. I hope most of our fellowship is going to be lighthearted, but there's going to be a time in our church where we have a sick church member and we need to come together and pray for that person. There's going to be a time where, where oh, I don't know, something that happens out there, something that seems to happen often in Colorado is, not to scare anyone, mass shootings. I worked at Littleton Adventist Hospital for five years, and for five years I worked there, I was involved in three mass shootings. That's three too many to talk about. But there's going to be a time where, where the fellowship is going to go beyond the fun and games, where we're going to really need to come together to be the spiritual foundation or the spiritual pillar for Castle Rock the town of Castle Rock. Hmm. Just some thoughts here. Just some thoughts. Other things I want to think about. Uh, if you were to look in Scripture, in the Gospels, you're going to see other examples where Jesus longed for fellowship. John chapter 11, it tells us that Jesus wept. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus. He knew Lazarus was going to be resurrected in a, in a little while. He even told his disciples at the beginning of that story that Lazarus was asleep. So what was he weeping about? His heart wept for those who did not believe in him as the life and resurrection. There he longed for fellowship with those who were non-believers. Do you remember what happened when Jesus was sitting with the tax, uh, tax collectors? The Pharisees, who were all about teaching and never fellowship, said something to the effect of, Look, he sits with sinners. He dines with sinners. He fellowships with sinners. Of course, Jesus wants to fellowship even with them. Because he has an investment. He has a desire for their salvation. Can we say the same as Castle Rock Adventist Church? 
Who do we want to fellowship with? That's a very important question to ask. Someone who's dressed nicely? Someone who looks like they have the means? But are you willing to fellowship with someone who is distraught, who is ragged, right? Maybe they're too young. I don't know if they're welcome in our church. Or maybe they're too old. That's things that we need to consider. Who do we also fellowship with? <clears throat> so let's go back to Acts chapter 2, our key text. They, Castle Rock Adventist Church, devoted themselves to the gospel's teachings and to the fellowship of the church, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I didn't emphasize the teaching part so much because I think we get that as a church. Pharisees even got that part, the teaching part. And I'm throwing that in there because that's a warning for us. If we, if we don't focus, if we don't do 50% teaching and 50% fellowship, we can fall into that trap that the Pharisees fell into. I want us to be a loving church. I want us to be phileo. I want us to be agape so we can feed Jesus' sheep. I want us to be joined together, not just joined together with each other, but joined with the community out there. I want us to be able to teach the gospel, and I want us to know the essence and the importance of fellowship. I want us to be devoted to fellowship just as much as Jesus was. So at the end of this sermon, I ask you that question again. Do you think Jesus was more about teaching, or was he all about being with the person? I really believe it's the latter. I really believe Jesus longs more so for fellowship than the former, than teaching. The teaching is important. I'm not discounting that. Teaching is important for us to, to hear and understand and comprehend what does the gospel really talk about. But once we soak that in, once we learn what the gospel is about, then we realize, wow, what he's talking about in the gospel is love. Love is a component of fellowship. Love does not live on the teaching side. Love lives on the fellowship side. So, the essence of this sermon, this message, let's learn how to be people for people. I learned that in a most beautiful way, and I'll end it with this story. And I've probably shared it here before, because I can never remember what stories I share. So if you've heard this one, just say, oh, we've heard that, Ed Ray, you can end right there. But um, I was still a resident chaplain, and I was assigned in Littleton, but I was training at Porter for this very instance, for this very part of the story. I was making my rounds, and I went into a room, and it was dark, and it was gloomy. And it's daytime, so clearly she had her shades down, the patient. There was nothing else in the room. It was very empty. No, no cards, no balloons, no signs of fellowship was with her. Okay? 
I introduced myself, and when she heard me say Chaplain Ed, <coughs> she invited me in. And I went to her side, and we talked, we introduced each other. And then she asked the question that a lot of people ask when they're sick. Why is God letting this happen? Stage four cancer. No way she was going to pull out of that, and she was dying. They were going to uh, transition her to comfort care, and she said, Chaplain, your timing couldn't have been better. <laughs> she asked that question again. Why does God allow this to happen? Well, gee, you just asked me a great theological question, and as your chaplain today, let me answer that for you. Do you know Job? I seriously brought up the story of Job, and I started talking about how even a good man like Job would get tested by God, and, and I went on and on thinking, wow, my theological, my, my um, teachers from undergrad and grad school would be so proud of me that I could explain the story of Job, and then she did this. She just waved me just to get quiet. So I got quiet. She took out her hand and she said, can you just please sit with me? She didn't want a long dissertation. She didn't want an explanation. She didn't want a theological explanation on why God allows people to get sick. If anything, all she wanted was fellowship. So I sat down. She extended her hand and I held her hand with my hands. And we sat there in silence for a few minutes. And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, this is what I needed. Thank you. And then we prayed, and I left. Fellowship. That was not the teaching that helped her. It was the fellowship of another human being. Especially since I never did ask her this and she never shared, but I just assumed she was always alone because of what I saw or did not see in the room. Have fellowship with each other and with Jesus. Let us be devoted to fellowship. Thank you.